0: Amen. Hey, once again, we are on the exciting chapter 8, page 70. For those of you who actually have a workbook tonight, Ryan, how you doing? You workbook free? Imagination killer? No? You're, hey, you give it up for Ryan, like you're an intern or something here. That's right. Going on board. But uh, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? Now, just to recap, as you turn to page 70, that's right, 70, intro to apologetics. We are given a defense for the hope that lies within us. Anybody glad about the hope of Jesus? Hope of the world to come. Hope that, praise God, there's more than this. Yeah, okay. And uh, we live in a skeptical society. So we've already dealt with a lot of the skeptical questions, first of all, about God's existence. We said, no, you can get proof of that. Everything has a beginning, which implies a beginner, i.e. God. Number two, everything has a design, just like this watch came from a watchmaker, not from an explosion over there in the dirt. How many you guys wish you can get it that way? save a couple bucks, at least 10 bucks at Walmart, uh, but it doesn't work that way. Everything has a design, so it implies a designer. Then we took a little detour. What about evolution? Evolution, which spawns evil. We'll see that Lord willing again tonight uh, and uh, answer the skeptical questions about that. That is completely bankrupt. Then back to the existence of God. Where did this moral, universal moral law come from? Well, it came from God, a universal moral law giver, created in his spirit, also in his uh, image uh, morally. What about the Bible? How do we know the Bible came from God? And uh, Because we say that, the word of God, all the Christian needs stuff, but how do we know? What makes the Bible different than any other book on the planet? We dealt with that extensively. Then we're finally on this big one, because ultimately, this is one of the big three questions, right? Anybody ever ask that question? If God's so loving, why is there evil and suffering in the world, right? Now, the first half of this, we already dealt with the Christian response to that. God has done something incredibly wonderful about evil, okay? He's put a limit on it. He's judged it. He's made a way out of it through Jesus. Praise God. And one day, he's going to put a stop to it. That's good news. Now, that's the Christian response. What's the atheist response? Oh, we are dancing with our dna we're a bag of chemicals yay excuse me i got a what okay or all the other religions say evil and suffering that's just illusions right whoa okay who on the planet outside of christianity and the biblical response has a real response nobody when you take a look at the evidence but then we talk about well wait a second let's say we're god's children uh, suffering why would he allow us to go through hard times is there any good in it? Yes, there is. And that's what we saw on page 70. We saw, number one, first of all, suffering is not always evil. Number two, suffering can develop our character. Uh, number three, death is not intrinsically evil. How many of you guys are glad that as a Christian, when you die, you go straight to heaven? Yeah, so okay, had to get there somehow, right? You don't get to take an elevator unless the rapture occurs practice right okay but inherently that what about the death of a child okay we gave that biblical answer with that uh then we saw last time although god's uh, not the cause of evil he's so powerful he can use it all together for good right okay is we saw that in the last time and uh, page 73 number seven the suffering can help us understand the suffering of others the hard times that we went through god will turn around recycle them for the benefit of other people It gets mileage out of it so to speak Okay, and then we saw that suffering can allow the communication of God's word where it wouldn't other be possible. And then sometimes suffering is worked towards the salvation of somebody else. And we left off with the uh, story of Jim Elliott, the amazing missionary, and who went into the Alka Indians and died. But after, because of his death and the manner of which they died for Christ, then they began to come and get saved in mass. Now, we left off on number 10. Sometimes we suffer because of, here's your first blank. That's right, we're already hitting it right, personal sin. Is your blank there? Personal sin, right? And I've noticed when it comes to this response about suffering, we seem to do one of two things, right? And we seem to say that, oh, no, no, never could that ever happen, that the reason why I'm going through this has nothing to do with my behavior. That's one extreme, okay? Or we go into this other extreme and we say, oh, yeah, absolutely everything that we went through. Because it's... no. Because sometimes it's just from living in this wicked world, it's going to happen, right? The sin of other people, or just, it could be spiritual warfare, right? But, I think where the church is at today, oftentimes it's more on this no. And we're so thinking non-supernatural, we're we're thinking that, you know, well, it's just a natural occurrence, right? Uh, uh, You know, uh, heaven forbid if we actually were to say the reason why there's some of those disasters that happen in that particular community or something like that, would actually be from the hand of God. That's not a popular thing to say, right? How do you know? Maybe it is, right? And uh, uh, anyway, so, but there's, there's that aspect. But I think we've gone to this extreme. We don't think that, that uh, sometimes, have you ever wondered this? Why did I get sick? You think it's dust from Vegas. Okay, nice one, Katie. I, I'm not going to give you a piece of gum for that one. Uh, no, right? right? Why, why did I go through that calamity? Why, why have I been having hard times lately? Why does it just feel like, spiritually, right? Well, what's up with that financial thing? What's up with this uh, aspect? How come, what happened going on with my job? What, how come there's turmoil? What's, I'm not saying this every single time, but I think sometimes we've gone to the other extreme, and I've actually seen this in ministry. I've seen many a times that I would say, personally, I've seen God dish out some spankings. Now, whether it be myself, when I get out of line, did you know God doesn't play favorites? If you're his child and you get out of line, what's he going to do? He'll give you some rope, but he'll spank you, right? He'll spank you, wanky right? Because he loves you, right? He might give you, you know, it's a little test, but if you get too far, get you back in line. Get on the straight and narrow, which is for our good, right? But, you know, so we'll have that aspect. But I have seen in ministry where I believe that sometimes Christians, you see they're doing something wrong, but they don't want to respond to God, and so he... What breaks my heart is they don't recognize it as that. They naturalize it. Oh, gee, that was weird. That's weird that that happened the very next day. You know, that's strange that this week all of a sudden just went, right? This thing, right? So, and the scripture talks about this. It's called reap what you sow. Remember Sunday sermon? We talked about their our country, you want to kick God out of our schools, out of our governments, what are you going to get? Out of our courtrooms? You're going to reap what you sow. We got this is what we have to deal with. And that's what he says here. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked, he says. A man reaps what he sows. You sow to please your sinful nature, guess what? You're going to reap destruction. And that's what jesus said doesn't he He says hey listen you want to go the way of the world do it the world's way that's the wide road that leads to destruction you need to go on the narrow road that leads to life okay but sometimes suffering can be a result of personal sin number 11 god never intended for this world to be our ultimate home okay all these people were still living by faith Hebrews 11 says, <clears throat> When they died, they did not receive the things they promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. <clears throat> and they admitted that there were still aliens and strangers on earth. Now, is that our attitude? Turn to somebody and say, you're an alien. Right? Not that kind. Right? But we're an alien, right? You're a stranger. Isn't that supposed to be advice? Right? We, we should live such lives that they're going like, what? Are you even on this planet? It's almost like you're from another world. That's what he's saying, right? We need to be aliens for Jesus we're just on a temporary trip we got dropped off so to speak but one day he's coming back to get us he's going to beam us up right and we go to the real place this mission place here is just to, you know save people because the planet's going to blow right so we're on this mission isn't that awesome like a little science fiction thing but that's what the scripture says right we are not to get so deep in this world we become like this world we're in the world but as aliens as strangers we're not of this world right we live for the world to come is what he says here instead they were longing for what A better country which one a heavenly one therefore god is not ashamed to be called their god for he has prepared a city for them right and sometimes we act like that we act like that somehow we like we again on sunday uh we try to recreate heaven here it's like no do you have any idea where we're headed for and this is the classic story that goes like this there was once a rich guy who was near death and he was very greedy because he worked so hard For his money, he wanted to be able to take some of it with him to heaven. So he began to pray that he might be able to take at least some of his wealth with him. Well, an angel heard his plea and appeared to him and said, Sorry, but you can't take your wealth with you. And the man implores the angel, Would you please speak to God? Maybe he'll bend the rules a little bit for me. So the angel goes to God and reappears and informs the guy that God decided, okay, to allow him to take one suitcase with him. That's it. And so overjoyed, the man gathers his largest suitcase, fills it with pure gold bars. And place it beside his bed, ready to go. And soon afterward, the man dies, and of course, he shows up to the gates of heaven and he greets St. Peter. And St. Peter, seeing the suitcase, says, Hold on, wait a second, you can't bring that in here, right? And the man explains to Peter, well, wait a second, he's got permission and verify the story with the Lord. So Peter goes back and he comes back and says, Okay, yeah, I verified it. You're right, okay, you're allowed one carry on bag. <laughs> it's like those airlines. Uh, But I'm supposed supposed to check its contents before letting it through. So St. Peter opens the suitcase, inspects it, and yells at the guy, What? You brought pavement? (laughs) Think about it, Christian. We're not saved for this place. And here's what I learned. What's this got to do with suffering? I don't know about you, but the longer I live as a Christian, two things. I can't wait to see some of my fellows and brothers and sisters in Christ that I've had to do their funeral. Weird position to be in, I kid you not. I never thought I'd ever do a funeral. Let alone bury my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I can't wait to see them. And my loved ones who are in Christ. I can't wait to see them. Second thing is, the longer I live on this world, with the suffering, the pain, day after day after day, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. You know what that does, at least for me? It makes me long for heaven more. <laughs> I get to leave this joint. It's getting worse. But in the meantime, get busy sharing the gospel so other people can get there. Don't get to heaven. Get some treasure, store up treasure in heaven. Share Christ with other people. But suffering will do that to you, right? Kind of puts a sour taste in your mouth for this wicked world system and get your mind on things above, not on this earth. And that's a good thing, right? Because this earth will drag you down. Okay? Keep your mind on things above. But he goes on. he, He continues to say this. Number 12, life and good health are gifts from God. Gifts from God. Skeptics who doubt God because of the problem of suffering uh, rarely stop to ask, well, first of all, where does life and good health come from in the first place, right? Scottish theologian James Stewart says this, it is the spectators, the people who are outside looking at the tragedy from whose ranks the skeptics come. It's not those who are actually in the arena and who know suffering from the inside. Indeed, the fact is that some of the world's greatest sufferers have produced the most shining examples of unconquerable faith. You ever gone through some hard times and after you made it through, woo, man, you got faith now because, man, we trying to go through that. What did it do? It stretched your faith. It made you stronger, right? How? What did it just, you went to sleep one night. Da-da-da. Right, Reed? That's our workout program, isn't it? <laughs> Working out, awesome. Anyway, No, it doesn't work that way, right? And so suffering will produce that. Again, it stretch your faith and strengthen. your, whoa, wow, you get stronger because of pain, because of difficulty, because you've got to put it to the test. I don't know, ah, it makes you pray more, love. It's all for a good, right? Unconquerable faith. There's a movie out recently, okay, uh, Unbroken. I don't know if any of you guys have seen that. What breaks my heart about Unbroken is most people don't know the rest of the story. And if you read the rest of the story, you find out where the guy's real strength was. It wasn't the triumph of the human spirit. Ah! And that's how it's portrayed. Why don't you tell the rest of the story of how the guy came to Christ. Let me share a little bit of that with you. Louis Zamperini, that's his name, Uh, Truly lived, better survived, one of the greatest stories ever written. Uh, But shortly after his feet landed back on American soil, Louis went back with his family to his childhood home in California. They enjoyed food conversation, unwrapped several uh, years of unwrapped uh, Christmas gifts. Everything seemed peaceful and almost normal. But post-war Louis picked fights over nothing, drowned his emotional scars and nightmares with endless alcohol, suffered the uh, curse of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and Louis did meet a pretty girl on the beach, and two weeks later he did convince the poor, naive Cynthia to marry him. They loped a short time later to the absolute outrage of her parents. It wasn't long before Cynthia realized the tortured, drunken, unsafe monster she had married. Uh, Not being able to convince him to get off the bottle, she stopped appearing with him in public, embarrassed and even afraid of what he might do. Uh, Spiraling dangerously and hopelessly out of control, visited every night by his Japanese torturer, the bird... Right? In, in his nightmares, he came to the conclusion that the only path to the freedom was to kill the guy. Uh, he began plotting a mission to murder the man who had ruined his life, and, uh, and a bloody vengeance against this guy became his only, quote, hope. And the autobiographer says this, no one could reach Louis because Louis had never really come home. In another crazed nightmare, <clears throat> the ugly insanity forced Louis uh, to, on top of his poor wife in the middle of the night beating and strangling her. Weeks later, Cynthia found him shaking their, their screaming baby girl, so she filed for divorce. But everything changed in the fall of 1949. It's, you read through this, and you're going like, man, if you would have put this in there, it would have been a really good show. 1949, Billy Graham held a campaign in L.A., and uh, thousands of people come, including one hurting, despairing wife and mother named Cynthia. Right? She heard the gospel, surrendered her heart to Jesus, and informed Louie that she no longer wanted a divorce. Uh, He was relieved that she had decided to stay, but skeptical about her conversion. She pled and pled with him uh, to attend one of the meetings over and over here, angrily refused, but eventually he came along, and when he went to that particular meeting, Graham preached, quote, darkness doesn't hide the eyes of God. Remember we've talked about that before? God sees in the dark. He sees everything. Darkness doesn't hide the eyes of God. God takes down your life from the time you were born to the time you were die. And your own words, your own thoughts, your own deeds are going to condemn you as you stand before God on that day. And God is going to say to you, depart from me. Well, Louis was enraged and horrified that this man would dare accuse him like this after all he'd been through for his country, all he endured. I mean, I'm a good man, he thought. I'm a good man. And he continued on. He said these words specifically, if you know the story. Here tonight, there's a drowning man that is lost out in the sea of life. Talk about the sovereignty of God, even in the verbiage. This sent Louis spinning. He eventually stormed out before Grammy was finished, but it would be the beginning of the end of uh, Louis' resilience. He had survived opposition before, but nothing like this. The next day, under the powerful preaching of the cross, Louis was born again. He was truly rescued, right? In the end, Louis was not broken after all, uh, not by the bird, but by God. And the autobiography says, When he thought about his history, what resonated with him now was not all that he had suffered, but the divine love that he believed had intervened to save him. He was not the worthless, broken, forsaken man that the bird has striven to make of him. In a single silent moment, his rage, his fear, his humiliation, his helplessness had fallen away. That morning he believed, and he was a new creation. Now, here's the proof in the pudding. It's kind of like your answer to the question last night. Are you saved by your works? No. But works are evidence of a true faith. It demonstrated. The true climax of Louis Zamperini's story was his second visit to the Sagamo prison. Standing inside the walls that had watched him suffer so badly, he now looked into the eyes of many of the very men who inflicted the blows. For the first time since the war, he was seeing the faces of his pain and humiliation. How did he respond? Did he devolve into a seizure of violent screaming? Did he silently burn with fear and rage? No, Louis, quote, was seized with childlike, giddy exuberance. In bewilderment, the men who had abused him, watched him come to them, his hands extended with a radiant smile on his face. And then he wrote a letter to the bird, the guy. Quote, as a result of my prisoner of war experience under your unwarranted and unreasonable punishment, my post-war life became a nightmare. But thanks to a confrontation with God, I committed my life to Jesus Christ. Love replaced the hate I had for you. Forgiveness, not survival, was the victory of this life." Whoa. Why don't you make a movie about that, right? That's the real strength, and so he says this. So when you see the movie and enjoy Louis stepping back into freedom, savor the steps he would take years later into true freedom, freedom from anger, depression, alcohol, fear, violence, and revenge, Freedom that would last for eternity. Wow. Hollywood just messes it up. But anyway, that would have been a great ending. Uh, Number 13. And up to the next page there, 74, says this. When skeptics or atheists ask, and again, this is what we've been doing through our whole study, flipping around, right? You're looking at us like we're the weirdos because there's suffering, there's evil. I'll give you answers. You ain't got one. Let's flip it around then. Skeptics ask, where was God when people suffer? And we could say, all right, well, I'll give you an answer to that, and I've been giving you answers answer to that. Uh, where is atheism when people suffer? Right? Flip it around. Christianity offers hope, peace, and comfort in the midst of suffering. That's what we've been seeing for several weeks, right? right that's awesome. What does atheism offer to comfort us or give us for the hope of, uh, in the midst of suffering? Uh, in case you're wondering, it rhymes with zilcho, not a Nothing. OK? Uh, the question sometimes is raised: Where was God during the Holocaust? I mean you guys heard one of those extreme ones, right? All right, We'll flip it around. Again, okay, an appropriate response to be, Excuse me. Where was atheism during the Holocaust? In fact, let's take it a step further. Was it not the natural outworking of atheism that fueled the Holocaust? Remember, as we saw before, Hitler, there was a reason why he started with the Jewish people. Hitler was not only a spiritist, who was involved in all kinds of dark witchcraft stuff, OK? Bad spiritual background, but also he was an, a committed evolutionist, right? And the school system taught that. And he was a racist. And the reason why he was starting with the Jewish people because they were at the bottom of his uh, raceless, Hitler's hit is called. He believed that the Nordic, the blonde hair, blue eyes were at the top, the Aryan race. He was trying to create eugenics, a master race. In order to get that, you had to get rid of the lesser races. That's all an evolutionary mindset. That's atheism, right? God says we're all one blood. We all come from Adam and Eve. Right? Right? Well, hey. hey, how many guys would like to cut yourself right now? All of us, on the count of three. No, that'd make the newspapers, and that's not the publicity you want. Weird, freaky cold church cuts himself. No. All right. Hey, no matter what skin color we got, we all bleed what? Red. Red. Okay, if you bleed something else, we'll talk to you later. You're taking that alien thing too seriously. No. All right. But the Germanics were blue eyed, kind of brown hair. They were predominantly Aryan. Mediterranean folks, they were slight Aryan. Slavic, close Aryan, but kind of half ape. Oriental, slight ape, preponderance. Black African, predominantly ape. But the Jewish people at the very bottom, he believed, were close to pure ape. So, according to evolution, according to atheism, according to Hitler and that regime, after, if he could accomplish annihilating all the jewish people he would be going next to the black africans and begin to wipe them out across the planet the Orientals, the slavics Mediterraneans, on up Most people don't realize it evolution atheism is what he was following where was Atheism during the holocaust. Who do you think inspired it? What mindset do you think inspired it? Even continues today most people don't realize this Margaret Sanger. We talked about this before population control still goes on today founder of Planned Parenthood she thought Hitler and the eugenics program was great, called for, quote, the illumination of human weeds, for the cessation of charity, because it prolonged the lives of the unfit, the segregated, the morons, misfits, and maladjusted. And she called for the sterilization of genetically inferior races. That's who founded Planned Parenthood. It's not about abortion, All right? You look at a lot of the abortion clinics and things, which is what, murdering children. Can we use the right terminology? Abortion softens it, murdering children. Typically, when you do the statistics, whose children are the most that are murdered? Black African Hispanics, right? Those that they would consider misfits, morons, maladjusted. Still goes on today, right? Jacques Cousteau says, hey, it's really horrible, but uh, in order to stabilize the population of the planet, we need to kill 350,000 people per day. Jacques, why didn't you put that on tape on the video, and you probably would have lost your ratings. Oh, yeah, it's us As one guy says, with all due respect, I'm not promoting this, but by way of humor, okay, fine, Mr. Jacques, let's start with your family. But it's always somebody else's family, isn't it? Right? These guys here at the top. This is evolution, right? Where's evolution? Oh, Christian, there's so much evil. Hey, where's atheism during all this? How are you helping? What's your answer? You don't got one. In fact, you're the ones responsible for this. One other example, John Holdren, he's Obama's science czar, wrote this, quote, in a book, you can check this out. Forced abortions and mass sterilizations are needed to save the planet. This is a guy in the current administration. Quote, women could uh, be forced to abort their pregnancies whether they wanted to or not, The population at large could be sterilized by infertility drugs intentionally put into the nation's drinking water or in the food. People who contribute to social deterioration, i.e. the undesirables, can be required by law to exercise reproductive responsibility. In other words, be compelled to have abortions or be sterilized. And he called for a transnational planetary regime, his own words, and that they should assume control of the global economy and also dictate the most intimate details of everyone's lives using an armed international police force. Yay, thanks for being a part of our government. Where do you get this kind of crazy, whacked-out mindset? You get that from the Bible? Uh-uh. Get that from the teachings of Jesus Christ? No way. You get it from atheism. So remember this. We've been seeing in our study. They want to say, oh, where was God with this suffer, this tragedy, or Holocaust? That Where's atheism? Oh, and, and by the way, let me go back there, and let me give you atheism's response to that. Um, according to uh, Richard Dawkins, is this. Uh, the universe uh, has no design, no purpose, no evil, no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless, indifference. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is. We dance to its music. And I'm the one with the problem. And you're looking at me with, aha, I got you now, there's evil, there is no God, excuse me. Don't think so. In fact, it says, if we are indeed the random product of evolution, then aggression and domination, i.e. like what Hitler did, uh, are the, in themselves good things because at least they assure the survival of the fittest. That's an evolutionary mindset. Certainly mindless evolution in a, is red in tooth and claw as a Tennyson Rights as well okay number 14 all suffering is temporary is your next blank there temporary if what's the caveat you're a christian okay and this is the great hope that we have okay when sin death pain natural disasters evil and all the powers of darkness do all they can do guess who has the last word now i don't want to start an argument tonight especially among married couples But you ever run across somebody who always has to have the last word? Don't raise your hand, honey. I said I I mean, she was being humble, admitting it was her. I get that, but I digress. (laughs) But aren't you glad in a positive sense, no matter what accusation, no matter what people do, no matter what sin, what suffering, what you go through in life, God has the last word. And here it is. You don't have to wait. Oh, I wonder what he's going to do. I wonder what he's going to go say. He's recorded for us right here. It says exactly what he's going to do. One day, all this is done. The important thing is, make sure you're on his side. You're part of his family. Because if you're not, then your suffering has just begun. You're going to go to hell, and it's going to go on forever and ever and ever. God has the last word. Our sufferings, your next blank here, are finite, temporary. In other words, sufferings are finite. God is infinite. Okay, use your blank there. Sufferings are finite, but God is infinite. The Bible mentions that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to the springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. One day it's coming. One day, all this suffering, all this baloney, it's done forever. This is just temporary, right? And I've said it before, if all there was to being a Christian is you're saved from eternal damnation and torment and suffering in hell, and you're going to heaven, and if God had nothing to do with this, and we just had to, if you will, grit it out until we got there, wouldn't that still be worth it? But it's much more than that. We have this intimate, personal relationship uh, with His Holy Spirit. You can't get any closer than that, and He gives us so much. He takes all, even our trials and problems we saw last time, He turns them around for good. It's awesome, right? But even that's just temporary. One day we're headed for a place that's perfect. As I, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Why? Because the old order of things has passed away. What's that mean? This thing's not going to be the way it is forever. So stop trying to stack up pavement. Where we're headed is mind-blowing. He who is seated on the throne says, I am making everything new. It's messed up now because of sin, because of rebellion, because of the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. But one day, God's going to make it new. All this is just temporary. Keep that in mind, right? It's just temporary. It's not forever, okay? that's See, that's when the pain comes in, right, isn't it? When we get consumed, we talked about this before. Uh, the word there for worry and the word there for anxiety in the Greek, in Matthew chapter six, Philippians chapter four. Okay, it's the exact same Greek word, "marmenao," and it means consumed with self. When do we worry? When do we get anxious? When does our suffering get beyond us? Because that's all we think about. We get consumed with the, the, what's happening right now in this this sin cursed creation, this thing, and this deal. This, He says, don't get consumed with that. Remember, it's just temporary. Get consumed with this thought. It's, hey, this too shall pass. And one day, it's all done. Not with that. Get consumed with that. Hey, much better way to go. And that's what he's talking about here. Now, again, if you're not a Christian, it's just the beginning of suffering forever. shared this before. What's kind of... Very sadly ironic is many people, now we're taking a look at this, we're examining this skeptical question. After God's so loving, my eyes are evil. I can't believe in a God that would allow all this, blah, blah, blah. And we're dealing with that. We're giving great answers. I think biblical answers, obviously. But sometimes the non-Christian will use that as the ultimate excuse all the way to their deathbed as an excuse to say, well, I'll never surrender to that God, right? And yet you have no idea that the very factors we saw before with the moral argument The fact that you acknowledge that there is a good versus evil is actually an argument for the existence of God. Because where did that come from, right? But you use that as an excuse to somehow pull you away from God, and all that bravado goes when you're taking your last breath. But now it's too late. Listen to these guys. Here's how they left the planet. I don't need Jesus. Thomas Paine said, I would give the world if I had them at the age of reason and never been published. Oh, Lord, help me. Christ, tell me. Stay with me. It is hell to be left alone. And he died. Uh, Voltaire, remember him? Remember the guy that says, in 100 years of my life, Christianity will be abolished. And then within 50 years there, the, some Bible society bought his house and used his printing press to print Bibles. Remember that? What, what's that called, the code word? Nanny, nanny, boo-boo in Jesus' name. <laughs> God has the last word, right? Excuse me? Right? Here's how he died. He said, this is his last words. I am abandoned by God and man. I shall go to hell, oh Jesus Christ. David Hume, the atheist, died in utter despair in an awful scene, crying out, I am in the flames. Sir Thomas Scott said, until now I thought there was no God or hell. Now I know there's both. I am doomed. And he died. One more. Sir Francis Newport says, Don't tell me there is no God, for I know there is one. And I am in his angry presence. You need not tell me there is no hell, for I already feel my soul slipping into its fires. I know that I am lost forever. And he died. Man, one story, of the guy, a true story. The guy was in Texas, very adamant against Christ. And the pastor had been trying to witness to him for quite some time. And this day, on an oil drilling rig, pipes fell on him and crushed him. And he rushed into the hospital. And the pastor got word and he runs to the hospital, but it was too late. He got there, he says, he tells the story. He gets there to the hospital room and the guy sees him and he's yelling, And he's grabbing the sheets, almost clawing the bed apart. He says, I'm in the flames. And then he died. Suffering is temporary. If you're a Christian. Only Christianity has the most beautiful, wonderful, true answer for suffering where it came from. And ultimately, that our wonderful God suffered himself so that we could escape that. And how ironic it is, the enemy will use that one thing that even God himself went through to save us, to lead people into eternal suffering. Fifteen, God's not finished yet. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. We saw this last time, who've been called according to his purpose. Justice delayed is not justice denied. Did you know that? How many times have we played this game? I hope God answers that prayer. What is God, deaf? I mean, really think about it. I, I, just, I'm more, I remember as a young Christian, brand new Christian, what are you talking about? God's, he's omnipresent. He's with us wherever we go. Right? It's in, he either says one of three things. He says yes, he says no, or he says not now, or wait. Right? Okay? And, this, and it's in the no and the not now, we go, oh, I guess he didn't answer my prayer. No, he did. He might have just said no. Or he might have said, wait, I'm still cooking that pancake. Need a couple more ingredients. It'll make sense in a little bit. Right? We get a yes, we go, hey, he answered my prayer. But again, he always answers your prayer. It's just yes, no, or not now. He works it all together again. But he said, justice delay is not justice denied. Okay? Criticizing God for not punishing evil people right now is like reading half of a novel and criticizing the author for not resolving the plot. Well, keep reading. He's not done yet, right? And that's what he's talking about there. Top of the next page. How can a finite human be sure that God would not tolerate certain short-range evils in order for more long-range goods that we couldn't foresee? Would you agree that the difference between us and God is greater than the difference between, here it comes, Ken, one are the odds of this one, between us and a bear? It's right here in print. Imagine a bear in a trap and a hunter who, out of sympathy, wants to liberate him. He tries to win the bear's confidence, but he can't do it. So he has to shoot the bear full of drugs now the bear however thinks that this is an attack and the hunter's trying to kill him he doesn't realize that this is being done out of compassion then in order to get the bear out of the trap the hunter actually has to push him further into the trap in order to release the tension on the spring if the bear were semi-conscious at that point he would be even more convinced that the hunter was his enemy who was out to cause him suffering and pain but the bear would be what Wrong. And here's the analogy. He reaches this incorrect conclusion because he's not what? He's not a human being. Like, I, get, Did you know you're not God? That might solve a lot of problems in life right there. You're not God. Okay, and that's the analogy. He reaches this incorrect conclusion. He's not a human being. Now, how can anyone be certain that it's not a good analogy between us and God? It is at least possible that a loving God could deliberately tolerate, not author sin, but tolerate horrible things because he foresees that in the long run, more people will be better and happier than if he miraculously intervened. God has shown us how this can work. And the greatest example, as we saw before, is the cross of Jesus Christ. Right? The disciples didn't even get it, even though Jesus said it over and over again. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to leave you. Don't It's going to be okay. I know what I'm doing. I got a plan. I'm going to rise again. They still didn't get it then. they were right there with him. I don't get this cross thing. world still doesn't get it today. But the manifold wisdom of God. Here is a situation how the very worst thing ended up resulting in the very best thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. God is the only one who can make purpose and value out of our pain. He makes beauty out of ashes. Let me do it again. And we will take a look at the uh, exciting atheist response. No design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference, DNA neither, neither knows nor cares, DNA just is. We dance by its music. Wow, man, that's so satisfying. We're the ones with the problem. Number 16, finish up. We can know that God understands. Is your next blank there? God understands our suffering and our heartaches because guess what? He experienced human suffering. As if he doesn't know, Right? What has he asked us to go through? Even the painful things that he hasn't gone through. Right? The Lord told Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned, is your blank there, about their suffering. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way as we are. Yet what's the good news? Without sin. Why is that important? Because if Jesus had sin like you and I, he'd still be in the grave he would not have been the perfect savior that we need god who created all things subjected himself as your blank there God, who created all things, subjected himself to natural laws and human vulnerability. He took the pain of his creation onto himself. He became hungry and thirsty and tired. He wept over the death of a friend. He knew temptation of every kind. He knew the agony of being lied about, betrayed, misunderstood, abandoned, abused, beaten. He even experienced the cruelest form of death. Suffering and pain did not spare the very Son of God. Listen, God conquers, is your blank there, God conquers, not in spite of the dark mystery of evil, but through it. And we don't usually get that, do we? When we hit a hard time, right, what do we usually say? Oh, God, take me around this thing. God, take me over this one. How about under this one? How about to the left? How about to the right? And God says, no, we're going to beat this thing through it. And what's the great scriptural example? Daniel and his three buddies. Did God take him out of the furnace? He let him go into the furnace. But in the furnace, who? hey, there's somebody there. Wonder who that is. Sometimes, God will take you over something, to the left, to the right, under. But sometimes he'll let you go through it. But as a Christian, we're not alone. God's going to conquer this baby right there with you. And he's going to take you right through it. And when you come out of it, you're not even going to have smoke smelling on you. right? You're going to come out victorious. You trust him. And isn't that what we need to do when we're in the midst of our crucible, whatever that hard time is, just stop for a moment, stop you know, being consumed with self, merriment oh, the flames, oh, the furnace, oh, it's, whoa. Oh, oh. Daniel went through the same thing, the lions did. Oh, the lions, oh, i are going to eat me, oh. Or you just go, Okay, I'm not going to look at no. <laughs> Thank you, God, for being right here with me. Thank you that you never leave me nor forsake me. Thank you that you stick close to me, like a brother, like a friend. Thank you that you'll never desert me. You'll never leave me hanging high and dry. Thank you for your omnipresence. Thank you, that you're right here with me. Isn't that a much better way to go? Um, what's the atheist response to that? Rhymes with nothing. Not a zero zip. That's right, you guys. I don't have enough gum for all of you. Let's continue on. God answers the problem of evil is that he came right down to it. He experienced it, and then he what? Conquered it, right? What's the other religion's response? Oh, it's not real. It's an illusion, right? It's just working off karma. Or, where that's right, DNA, a bag of chemicals, and we dance to its tune. Yeah. We'll close with this great analogy the long silence at the end of time billions of people were scattered on the great plain before god's throne most shrank back from the brilliant light before them but some groups near the front talked heatedly with not cringing shame but belligerence god can can god judge us how how can he know about suffering the words came from a thin starving young girl she ripped open her sleeve to reveal a tattooed number from a nazi concentration camp and we endured terror and beatings and torture and death and another group of man lowered the collar of his shirt, revealing an ugly rope burn on his neck. What about this? I was lynched for no crime, for no other reason than the color of my skin. All across the plain, there were hundreds of such groups, and each had to complaint against God for the evil and suffering uh, that he had permitted in the world. And how lucky God was to live in heaven, where all the sweetness and light, no, weeping no fear no hunger no hatred what did god know of all the humans have been forced to endure this world they were saying so each of these groups sent forth their leader chosen because he or she had suffered the most or the worst a jewish person a black person a person from hiroshima a horribly deformed arthritic several with various forms of disabilities at last they were ready to present their case it was rather clever they pronounced that before god could be qualified to be their judge he would have to endure what they endured Their decision was God would have to be sentenced today. Sentenced to live life on earth and live as a man and he would have to suffer. Here's what he needs to do. Let him be born a Jew. Let him have the legitimacy of his birth doubted. Let him know what it's like to be hungry. Let his work be so difficult that even his family will think he is out of his mind when he tries to do it. Let him be betrayed by his closest friends. Let him face false charges. Let him be tried by a prejudiced jury. Let him be convicted by a cowardly judge. Let him be tortured. Let him see what it means to be so terribly alone and then let him die. Let him die so that there could be no doubt that he died. Let there be a great host of witnesses to verify it, as each leader pronounced a portion that he or she would ask Add to the sentence, loud murmurs of approval went up at the throng of the people. Yes, yes, it's only fair, it's only right. If he would judge us, he must face what we face. And when they finished, there was a long silence. No one dared utter another word. No one could even move, for suddenly it dawned on them all, God already had served his sentence, and that God would judge no one in whose shoes he had not already walked in what has God asked us to do that he has not already done himself you and I had the benefit of a godly congregation and godly friendships and brothers and sistershood to encourage one another as the scripture says the church is supposed to do to love one another to help one another to forbear with one another Put up with one another. Forgive one another. Who did Jesus have when he went to the cross? He suffered way worse than any of us could ever dream. And yet, he gives us all these resources in the midst of our suffering. And we would dare accuse him if you don't know what I'm going through. That's what the enemy wants us to do. Join him, shake a fist at God. When God says, look at the cross. Don't you understand what I did for you? And that's what he says. If you want to know what God's like, look at the cross. Jesus, God in the flesh, suffered and died so that you could have the forgiveness of your sins and that you could spend in eternity in a place without suffering and evil, even though you deserve the other. It's all free. He did it all. Oh, at what price? He suffered so we could go to a place where we will never suffer again. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that just a wee bit better than, hey, we're dancing to DNA, hey. (laughs) As we've gone through this, because now we're going to move on, Lord willing, uh, next week to, is Jesus really the Son of God? But as we've gone through several weeks of suffering, do you get what I said at the beginning Flip it around. This is one of those questions they always come at us. Ha ha, got you, Christian. Wise or evil? If God's real, blah, blah. We have given an extensive answer biblically. What do they got? See, nobody's really challenging them. Challenge them in love. Where was atheism during the Holocaust? Why do people have that mindset? Where did that come from? What's your answer to the evil and suffering? How are you going to offer comfort and hope to the rape victim or the person who's in tragedy or the child that dies? What are you going to say? See what I'm saying? And it becomes a powerful way to share Christ with them because ultimately, everybody's going to suffer. For some of us, the suffering will stop. And that's only the Christian. And no matter how much people do rotten things to you, I hope your heart is not so cold that you actually would wish that they would suffer forever in hell. Look beyond the pain. Look to the cross and use even the skeptical question to lead people to him. That's a much better way to go. Amen? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today,